Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about Robert E. Howard's Conan Adventures in the Age Undreamed of by Bodifius. This is like the third incarnation of a role playing game for Conan. The first was the early one. I think it was by TSR, probably way back in the day. It was called Conan Role Playing Game, and it doesn't tell me who. Yeah, and then uh, then they came out with another one, uh, like a D twenty version. Conan oh. the Role Playing Game, right? Two thousand and four. Which you know, I thought was really strange because I hadn't really seen that those rules, and uh, and my brother who loves Conan, you know, my brother who introduced me to D and D. I've known him as a fan of Conan since uh, I was a kid, a little kid, and he was reading Conan books when he was a teenager, at least. And it's, you know, I was surprised that he didn't buy those books. And if he did, he, you know, never mentioned them to us, to me. Because that was in what, they published in 2004 or something like that? That one, the role-playing game. There's also a GURPS Conan yeah, supplement. Uh, yeah, that, there's GURPS everything. So I bought the Kickstarter ages ago, and I obviously I got the book delivered. And also my brother did, right? He bought in a little bit deeper than I did. I just got the core book. He got print. all the books. I don't know if he got all the books, but he, I think he did. He might have. Anyway, so Conan the, the, in the Age Undreamed of. I think what, what is interesting about this game is that Chris Birch is the owner of Modifius at the time. I think Modifius was started when they wanted to publish one book. I think it was like something to do with Cthulhu. And basically, off of kick, that Kickstarter, they were able to start a very now large publishing company in role-playing games. So that's pretty cool. So this was like like maybe their second book that they came out with or something. Anyway, so they, the whole, I, to me, from what they said and from what I've read, is that they wanted something that was very reminiscent of Robert E. Howard's Conan, right? It was a little different than Jolene. You know, Jolene says that she didn't even know there was books and... Uh, her first exposure was Conan the movie from with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, which is a pretty cool movie. You know, uh, I love the I love that movie. The music is pretty cool. It was okay. <laughs> I, I I wasn't really into it as a teenager. Oh well, there you go. Thought it lacked a little bit more adventure, but I thought it was pretty cool. And anyway, so this game is more based on Robert E. Howard's writing and and. They really try to get that flavor of his writing in the RPG. And they even went as far as to contact, uh, you know, the people who who owned not only the rights to, to publish the game, but they went to people who uh, who curate the Robert E. Howard Museum and stuff like that and went over his writings. So it's a very interesting way of creating an RPG. Now, the book is huge, right? I, I haven't really looked at how many pages it is and i'm looking at it right now and you know it is a really nice big book it's over 400 pages and art is really nice i think that was one of the things that they really wanted to work on and for the kickstarter was they wanted to get really nice art and full color book and they used the 2d20 system the 2d20 system at the time was very you know, very crunchy. It's still a very crunchy book, you know, system uh, for Conan. I think that they might have had Mutant Chronicles. I'm yes, not sure. Yes. Mutant, Mutant I think Chronicles. Mutant was first. And those are crunchy rules. And these are pretty much just as crunchy. But I think they work pretty well because what happens is that unlike D&D where, where you can really like start slaughtering people left and right and not really get, you know, 
tired or bogged down and stuff, you can do that. You can go go on a slashing, you know, killing people left and right. But you could also get hit really easy and and knocked down, which is a little bit more rare in D and D. And so I think the the system fits well with the idea of this heroic character, but could also be fallen by as a regular person with a with a bow, right? I think that's pretty neat. I think some people. Uh, may not like the the whole uh, doom. There's this uh, aspect of doom in the 2D20 system where, every you know, if let's say you want to uh, want a little extra edge, you give doom to the GM so you can roll extra D20s. So a lot of people don't like that mechanic. I think it's okay. It it makes it more interesting. Right. And supposedly it, it's supposed to just make the the bad guys more flavorful, more give them a little more personality. Right. right? Let them do a little more stuff or interrupt it, interrupt when you're in the middle of something and right. that kind of thing. So the 2D20 system, I'm going to explain it really quick. You roll, every everybody rolls 2D20 to try to get under a number. And that number is uh, your attribute plus your skill. You add those two up and that's what you need to roll under on a D20 to get a success. So you roll 2D20s, so theoretically you can get two successes. Uh, if you need more successes, something that's really, really difficult to do or something that's really daunting, the GM will say, well, you need three successes, right? So how do you get three successes on 2d20s? Well, there's a number of ways. One of them is if you roll a one, that counts as two successes, right? So on 2d20s, if you roll double ones, you can get actually four successes, though the odds are not very good. So to, to up the odds on your favor, there's this thing called momentum. Anytime you let's say you only need one success but you get two you get to bank that momentum in a group pool called the momentum pool and as the game progresses more and more dice are usually put in that pool and let's say your back is up against the wall you need to do something that's really critical you can take d20s out of that pool and roll them with the tasks that you're trying to do and you can roll up to five dice so that really kind of as a player, kind of mitigates the whole, if I really need to make a roll, I can up my chances by using this momentum pool. But let's say there's no momentum in this pool, right? There's, you know, nobody has... Because your friend just used all of it. (laughs) Yeah, that happened too. You could give Doom to the GM, and Doom is, you know... It's just momentum for the DM. Yes. And that is used to, like, uh, usually the players, you know, there's no initiative. The players usually go first. And the GM can decide he will spend Doom to go to have his characters go first. Or he'll use Doom to cause a complication for you, like to drop your sword, and which you know, complicates the situation, right? So I think that's a give and take. I think if you have an adversarial GM, they're going to abuse that, but don't play with an adversarial GM. So that's the, you know, the 2D20 in a nutshell. There's all kinds of different rules that change it, modify it a little bit, but that's basically what it is. And I think it fits well because I think sometimes Conan is able to, or and heroes in the in the stories are able to do these wondrous, magnificent, against all odds things. And sometimes they fail things, right? They slip and they fall, and they and and things like that happen. Dramatic things happen, and I think the two D twenty is very good at mimicking that kind of gameplay. Just so you know, in my research on this one, okay, there are people that don't like that they don't like the fact that anytime a player has to buy a momentum or basically take give the 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 doom the doom to the gm 
the this one guy says um in his review of it that uh that that just makes it harder for the players to do anything well yes yeah. because he doesn't like that that idea that you have to give the gm something which i find <laughs> interesting i mean because when when i played in the game the the gm was felipe who is an excellent gm and he just said oh yeah go ahead i'll i'll take the doom and yeah, and he had, had a pile, a pile of doom, of doom. <laughs> and he didn't he he wasn't he didn't use it in a way to try to kill us or anything i mean obviously he was trying to kill us because his characters were but <laughs> but you know it wasn't like he wasn't doing it adversarially because he never does that right i think that's an interesting thing that this this person didn't like doesn't like that because you know if you're worried about your gm killing you then the gm could do that at any time right there's no there's nothing to stop a gm from doing that for me like an adversarial gm doesn't need this mechanic of doom to kill you or to really mess with your character so it's kind of a not a very good argument for me going against the the doom mechanic so what i li- also like about the the system is that it like robert e. howard stories you know there is room for magic users they call them sorcerers but it's usually, and it's a very dark arts, right? It's very negatively portrayed in the in the stories, and the, I don't think there's hardly any good characters who use magic. You know, they're all usually evil. And but that won't stop gamers from playing sorcerers. <laughs> of course not, because somebody wants to do it. So one of my my character my character was a sorcerer, right? He was a an ex priest of Mithra, and he fell in not fell, but was you know swayed by the lure of power, and so. He was able to uh, be able to throw some spells, but at the same time, you know, it really drains the character. It, you know, it's not like D and D where they throw ten or fifteen spells. And also, they don't want the other characters to know that they are throwing spells, right? Because then they may get a spear or sword in the back because they're, <laughs> they're you know evil sorcerers. You know, but there's not a, a class that says you're evil if you're a sorcerer, right? No, but usually to to be able to throw spells, you have to. Uh, either start doing some nefarious things like you know blood sacrifices or you have to make a pack with the patron and the patron is usually like an evil thing right or unknown thing wink wink (laughs) because who's yeah so who's so so the conan universe tell me a little bit about it i know you're telling these people about the game system but just give me a a clue as to uh because even though i played in the game I understood what we were doing. I have an idea of Arnold Schwarzenegger going around right. and, and doing stuff, but I don't really know the universe that well. Well, the, he came up with this universe, this world, Hyboria, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of mimic the cultures and the world of of Europe. 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 You know, like uh, Aquilonia is like Spain. Uh, even though uh, he kind of mixes, uh, what is it? He kind of mixes or, z- or, or, uh, eras, yeah, right? Yeah. Eras and peoples, and he kind of mimics the the cultures of Europe, the Middle East, and he, you know he came up with his own maps and and changed them enough that it wasn't like Europe, but he used Europe as a as a base for this uh, for his world. It kind of reminds me of um, I think the Middle East makes more sense than Europe to me. Well, he throws everything in Africa, okay. yeah, the Middle East, and he kind of scrunches it all together, pushes it together, moves things around. And if you look at the at the map of of Hyper, 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 ugh, Hyboria, it is you know it doesn't look like Europe, right? There is no England, Ireland, or anything like that. 
you know, but he does have like the Pictish wilderness. Pic- Pictish? Mm. Oh, that's Scotland. Aquilonia is a country. So that Aquitania, maybe? Aquitania. Aqua, Aquilonia. I, I know, but I'm just Aquita- saying. Yeah, Aquitania. Simra is where Conan comes from. And and there's a lot of political stuff, right? In this, or right. well, at least in the adventure I was in. Right. And, you know, and, and there's Kush, which is Africa. Africa. Astygia, which, you know, is the Middle East. <laughs> okay. And so all these countries and and cultures are influenced by real cultures in the, in the world in the real world but he's changed them and well that's what you do when you yeah. write a book right right a, a fantasy book well i mean yeah unless you're gonna place it in a different world i mean right. it is a different world a different planet you write about what you know right even though if you change it a little bit that's one of the aspects of his writings is that he wrote in a world similar to our world but different in a different age, right? And he wrote these in the 30s, 30s the 1930s, 1930s, just yes. in case anybody needs to know that. Right. And I think I think he was, you know, he was obviously influenced by well, like science fiction writers and stuff. But his his stuff was more, like I said, pulpy. Well, it wasn't only fantasy like Conan, but there was this uh, horror element mixed in, right? There was this idea of. These... Well, you told me he was he wrote to um, who's the Cthulhu guy? <laughs> oh my god i can't believe i forgot his name you're right yes he was in correspondence with hp lovecraft and they they were on pen pals of sorts and so that uh, would explain the horror aspect well i'm sure he got yeah exactly he got some some you know these un you know unseen horrors that could scar your psyche type stuff but he made his world was definitely in the land of in a world of, of fantasy right, right, know, right. Where, where conan lived right and conan was his principal character and uh so in this game people can do all kinds of of fantastical stuff right like right. you're you're a hero so you can run at all of the all of the bad ugly guys but they could also kill you pretty easily so yeah i think that's what's what i really like about the system is that you do have that element where you're a hero right and you can slay enemies left and right but it's, but you need to sit down and rest? Well, no, not only that, but there is a element of it that somebody with a lucky shot can really do a lot of damage to you. And you don't have a hundred and something hit points in this game. You have, you're limited to, I don't know what the upper limit is, but my character had like 13 or maybe 12, you know, and, uh, and high people with high hit points was like, or they call it vigor, was like 20, right? Little boxes, if you look at the character sheet. Yes, yes. So you, you're powerful and you can do a lot of nasty stuff, but at the same time, you also can be very vulnerable. It don't have armor class like D&D. It has ablative armor, right? It What it does is that... It takes off a couple points of, right. the, of the damage. Right. And it could, it could get pretty technical, right? You can have armor in certain places. When you do a, an attack, you can have hit locations. Well, you have this type of armor on your arm or... Or on your leg, on your torso, you know, different types of armor offer different protections in different spots. That's the way normal armor is. Yes. If yes. you're wearing, unless you're wearing a, a full plate armor from head to toe. Yes. And our actual tank, it's going to be kind of hard to. Right. And I like it because like, unlike d d it, it doesn't make you harder to hit. It just makes it, if you get hit, it takes it, off a little yeah. bit of damage. Which is which is probably true because if you got hit by an arrow into your into your uh, breastplate that was made out of uh, leather 
and stuff, then you would probably get a big giant bruise at well, the very yeah, least. At the very least, it usually would go right through the yeah. leather. So it's, well, usually there was padding under the leather yeah, to true. try to it, it, absorb it, it, that. In that sense, it may not be totally uh, realistic, but I think it works better for the type of stories. It's you're trying more to tell. realistic, right? For the the game, right? And one of the interesting aspects is that. Is not only can you make an attack, a physical attack, you can make a mental attack, right? And like, I forget what the name of the, one of the attacks was, like a steely stare, right? You can literally just stare at somebody and roll to attack. And instead of doing physical damage, you can do mental damage. And uh, and, and that causes... Uh, Fatigue? No, it causes, you know, if you lower their, or their that stat. Let me look it up. The mental stat. The mental stat in the in the game, it could cause somebody to run away, right? To lose their ability to keep fighting, and I think that's pretty neat. I think that's a pretty neat option, you know. Especially like you know Conan, you know, if if you ran up against a person that looked like Conan, he gave you that steely. Oh, it's called resolve, ah. right? And uh, he took enough of a person's resolve, they could make him run and leave the battle, right? Well, run yeah, away in horror. And I think that's pretty neat. I think, you know, a number of times in the books, Conan was able to do that. Simply just look at somebody who was about to attack him and give him that stare and say, do you really want a piece of me? Because I'm just going to kill you and there's no doubt about it. <laughs> and so it's pretty neat. And uh, I remember uh, Felipe, my brother, ran this at a, at a cons a couple of times. And a couple of the characters were like, what is this? You know, what is it? And he, they told him and they're like, oh, and they were using it. Almost more than they were using the whole uh, actually fighting. Though you know, it's enhanced if you do an act of violence, right? Like if you if you kill somebody, right, with a with a one blow, then usually you can you know, you describe how the person dies, right? So one of the ways that you can add to the steely stare gaze or, gaze or whatever, you could uh, dis- display the person's head of the recently killed, and that adds to your ability to. to to basically scare de- people demoralize yeah people. yeah and i think well, that's a neat. tactic that has been used through the ages <laughs> it's true yeah you're right demoralize and I, your enemies yeah you know and indeed there's no such attack that uh, has to do with a mental stat right no right but you saw uh, for those of you who've watched lord of the rings or actually it's uh, return of the king where the the orcs throw in the heads oh. of the of the people <laughs> they just killed as as you know like cannon fodder i mean okay. oh yeah yeah no they actually yeah they, they shot them back yeah, into yeah. Uh, Gondor. with their catapults or whatever it was <laughs> exactly and that's demoralizing and that kind of that's a demoralizing attack and it worked right because they scared the heck out of the people inside the yeah the city yeah people's heads are not what you want to see <laughs> off their body yeah the system matches really well with the stories that Robert E. Howard was telling. You know, like I said, it is a crunchy system. There is all these added little bits, like weapons have uh, categories or traits, which, you know, like let's say one is a is piercing, right? If you have a piercing weapon, usually like a bow and arrow, a uh, crossbow, and there's different levels of piercing, piercing one, two, and three, they negate so much armor. Also, there's the thing where when you hit somebody, you get to roll right and then you can there's certain things you can do like you can knock them down right what's that called it's like a it's like the i I forget what it was called but um but it was pretty cool because because if you did enough damage or you hit the right number then you got to do extra not just not just cause them 
damage. Right. It's but an effect, they yeah, call it. Yeah, an effect. That yes. was what it was. The damage is you roll these dice, and, and they're proprietary dice. There's true. There's, But you, don't, you, you can just use regular six-sided dice. So a one does one point of damage. A two does two points of damage. A three and a four don't do anything. And a five... And a six do cause one, and effect. Do one that point of damage and a, an effect. Yes, that was really right. cool. I really like that because because you know I like rolling dice and <laughs> I like dice and and I thought it was really cool because it gives it a, a a randomness, right? A little bit of flair, obviously. Too. Yeah. As to because like like what I forget what weapon you had, but it could do knockdown or something like that. It could I knock had a a hammer. It was a maul. Maul, right? Yeah. So a maul is a big old huge hammer. Yeah. Uh, I don't think quite like the one in Conan, but the the guy who had like the size of a of a bear, the hammer. <laughs> but anyway, so her hammer would be able to. One one was knocked down, and the other one, another one was uh, an effect was stunned or something. Like that. Yeah. Right. So they couldn't do anything for the next round. Right. So that's pretty neat, right? Yeah. That that adds a little bit, and it's not all the time, and it's only if you roll a five or a six, which is an effect. And but it wasn't like having arrows because in that game, I don't know that you. I played a character that was provided for me right. and so which Felipe had made for one of his convention games I assume or something yes. else but um but I was a young fighter right so you have to actually go up and be within combat melee range right to be able to use it where the guys with arrows could stand back in cuz the problem with being in melee range is that the other people get a turn and even if you try to get away from them they still get to hit you. Yeah, yeah, of course. So if you're doing arrows, it's a little bit safer. Right. And not necessarily, but it's a little bit safer than walking up to people or monsters and hitting them with your maul, right? Yeah, it makes sense. But you get to do a lot of damage. So it was a lot of fun, but I did get hit a lot too. So. Yes. Somebody complained that the peop- uh, players, characters can whittle through a lot of mooks or whatever you want to call them and, and not get hurt. And I, I didn't find that at all because... I was like down to one hit point. I didn't I was, find that at all either. Yeah. I kept getting hit. Yes. Luckily, I didn't get a lot of damage when I got hit because so when some people got hit, they took like six damages, <laughs> and you have to mark off your little tick off the little boxes. Yeah, and you like I said, you don't have a lot of hit hit points in this case. Vigor too. And even though Sal says it, it's a very, did you say crunchy or yes? I I didn't find it to be a bad kind of crunchy because you could understand what was going on in your character sheet. Right. Which I really like Modifius's games. And I know I've talked about this before because John Carter of Mars yeah. is a lot like that where you get to put things together to do your roles, right? Right. You put as- different aspects together. And it also gives you the character sheets tell you things. So, And that's one of the most important things I think when you're playing a role-playing game is the what the character sheet gives you or doesn't give you right so i didn't when i was doing the research on this one because i've only played it in once a couple sessions with felipe i really like john carter of mars and i really like the star trek adventures of course because it's star trek but this was really cool because i like the way the character sheet is for the star trek ones the ones that i played in with Saul were just the play test ones so i didn't get to see the i don't think i've actually looked at what the 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 character sheet looks like yeah Yeah. but this one for conan it was pretty cool and john carter of mars was really cool too so i think that that's an aspect that every game maker should take into into consideration how people can look at the character sheet and figure out 
you know, what's going on. Because if you know you have these little boxes to tick off for your hit points before you're going to lose something, right? You're going to lose, well, you might lose your life, but or your character's life, but you're going to have to take off a point off of some other aspect, right? So then right. it makes it harder for you to do stuff. Yes. So that makes it really cool to me. Sorry to geek out on all of you about the character sheet, but I thought <laughs> I think it's really one of the the most interesting aspects of of any game. Right. And then just the book itself, I looked through it and I like all of the it's pretty cool. The pictures and and that always brings and I know I read about I, I was doing research on it what people were complaining about they didn't have a whole lot to complain about they liked the art they liked the genre they liked the heroicness of it the things they didn't like were doom points or <laughs> and that it was kind of crunchy they don't like the D, the two d twenty system because you roll two d twenties and you have to get under a certain thing or you know those kind of things but that's just any game right right like even D D, you you roll a one right and then your sword goes flying off and you don't get to do anything there's all kinds of things that you that you were talking about there one is the the character sheet that is pretty self not self-explanatory but once you understand the character sheet it makes the game much easier right and I, that's what I'm talking about, player facing. Once you understand that your mall, when you roll a special effect, you get to choose either stun or knockdown. You get to choose which one of those things to do. And every time you roll an effect, that can happen. So you're like, oh, and then you have to decide as a character, do I want to knock this person down on the ground and make him go prone? Which kind of does the same thing as stun. Right. But then the person has to get up and it does all kinds of things that can happen since the, once they're on the ground compared to somebody just standing there being stunned and not being able to act for the next turn on their next turn. I think that's neat. I think that's really neat. I think that's where where this game kind of really sets itself apart from other games uh, as far as the whole special effects and effects of the game as far as combat. Well, and then Saul was playing a sorcerer, and just so you know, if you're anywhere near the sorcerer, when he makes the ground shake, you're going to fall down. <laughs> that was another thing, is that the spells in, in the game, usually when they're like area of effects and stuff like that, you don't get to choose. Like me, I have the ability to make an earthquake, right? Depending on how much, how much power I want to put into the spell. Now, I can make an earthquake, but that doesn't save me from the earthquake, right? Or my companion. And and one of the aspects is like one of the ideas is that it it's list says in the game it goes once you start the earthquake the GM decides when the earthquake stops <laughs> so it could keep going even though I want it to stop you know and then if I, I just w- wanted a short earthquake yeah, if I wanted like if I wanted to have control over the earthquake when it starts and when it stops then I would have to invest more power into it and you're not guaranteed because everything's based on roll you know yeah. So it it may or may not happen the way you want it to happen. So I think that perfect for Conan because a lot of times in the Conan stories, sorcerers would do stuff and it would kind of backfire on them. Well, and that's perfect in the Conan game too because if you're if you're doing these outrageously crazy things, right? You may succeed, you may not succeed, and part of the role playing aspect of that is the the fun part of when you don't succeed, explaining what happens. Or yeah, and dealing with that situation, right? right? So that makes it that's that's the that's the the one of the cool things about all role playing games is that if you do roll a one or or you fail. You fail whatever your thing is, then you get to explain how you most of the time anyway most gms will let you tell what happens or they'll come up with something cool to tell but it gives you a a chance to laugh about it right Right. and it's part of the because you can't always 
you, just like in life, you don't nothing always succeeds the way you think it's going to. Correct, correct. So, and like one of the things that happened is that, for example, Bay's character was so some sort of healer, right? And uh, he rose to see if he healed you, and he goes, "Oh, you're healed," and nothing happened, right? And he goes, "Well, you must have done something wrong, right?" <laughs> and it reminds me of Mako. I think Mako was a character was the, the Asian character in the, in the Conan movie where he was a magic user and he rubs his hands together really fast and he tries to do something and it doesn't work, right? So that's perfect because half the time stuff doesn't work the way you want it to if it works at all, which is pretty neat because you can't always be dependent on that, right? right. That the whole idea that magic is, is this elusive and sometimes uh, not a good mistress, right? So it, it'll, it could backfire on you at any time. So I think that's what I like about the game system. I liked about the rule set. Now, there is problems with the rules, uh, the way they're written. There are, at times, confusing. And I would say that the way they're put together, or well, I don't know how you call it, but it's not the best way, right? You know, it, it, it causes, for example, it's not a good reference book for the rules. It's just so you know. There's also a fix to that because <laughs> I was when I was reading about it, this guy says that the rules are not exactly going to help you. User friendly. <laughs> he says, but but to make up for that, they have um, these forums, Modifius and Google Plus. I don't is Google, Google Plus, Plus is gone. Is gone. Yes. But Modifius, they have these forums where the the game designers actually would explain what what was meant by that. And I think what happens is when you do a Kickstarter and you're trying to get everything put together at, to to publish it, maybe one of the edits didn't quite make it right or or they didn't think they understood it because they've been you know writing working it and it, yeah. working on it but it's like with any other rule set you don't always people don't always agree on what the rules mean right. so but it, if they're not written specifically clearly then it can cause some problems well you, this is a kickstart too right yeah. and they got into not a little not trouble but they got they were starting to get flagged because it was late it was late in publishing and it was late to get the book to the to the people who kickstarted it and you know and there is that sense of rush by people who do Kickstarters and put themselves on this timeline. Like most Kickstarters, the date that they set is like the best hope or a reasonable amount of time. But things happen all the time that makes it more difficult to do stuff. But in the end, I think the book is really is a beautiful book. There's a lot of mm -hmm. nice art. You know, that was one of the things why they Kickstarted it. And but again, the it's not a good reference book, right? It's not a it's not a book that I would have. Uh, you know, sitting at the table and if there was a question, I could quickly get to the correct table or the correct spot and be able to get the rules that I needed. But know. that's okay because if you do need a reference book, they have about 15 of them. <laughs> Supple those are Supplemental those reference. Uh, the only thing I would think of is that you could tab, you know, put these little tabs on your book, even though it's a beautiful book. And I, I personally wouldn't do that. Uh, but the only book that I ever did that to was Pathfinder. Because Pathfinder had a ton of rules, and I, you know, and I needed something to tell me where the rules were, and I tabbed the heck out of that book, but it was so tabbed that I couldn't even read the tabs, <laughs> right? So I, I had to go by just the color of the tab that I used. Now I don't think the Conan book is that bad because as you play the game and as the people learn the rules, like I said, the the rules are really player facing. The special rules that they have, the effects of the weapons, the the traits that they have. 
you know, the characters have, you know, special abilities and stuff. That's all basically on the player, and the player will have to know those rules to be able to play their character. Now, it's a little bit more difficult for people who have never played Conan, and you're the GM, and you're the only one that really has read the book. Then you're kind of in that bind where you really have to know the rules as well as you, you possibly can. But that's for every game. That's true. But I'm saying this because of the way the rules are written, they're kind of in this like, you know, uh, so they're, just, they're just put together in a strange the, way. What you're saying is you don't want to hand the player the rule book and go, you look it up. Yes. Because they're not going to be able right. to. Right. Correct. If it's their first time. Yes. Yeah. Well, once you read it a few times and you go back and forth and oh, OK, you know, it's just it's just that type of book where the way it's laid out, you know, it could have been better. But again, it's a Kickstarter book. They were running late. And so maybe, you know, the fourth and fifth pass didn't happen. And somebody said, well, couldn't you move this part about vigor and damage to the same spot? It's OK. It, I think it's a great game, and it was a lot of fun when I played it. Yes, and, it's a blast to play. And Felipe's read the rules a few times, so um, and knows the universe, so it right. makes it a lot of fun. Yes. So I would suggest that you, if you have it, or you know somebody do, who does and wants to, you want to run it, or somebody else wants to run it, that you play in it. Yeah, I really like it. I think it does it does the the genre of Robert E. Howard's world well. I think it's a perfect, perfectly good match for the D20 system that they have and and the rule and the world that they're trying to mimic to play in. And remember that the, the, the 2D20 is not monolithic. It's not the same rules across any game. Every every book, I mean, every game book is different. This one is slightly, uh, Conan is slightly different than the Mutant Chronicles. John, John Carter, Carter of Mars right. is super light compared to this one. There's not as many rules. There's not as much crunch. And it's a lot more f- freestyle type playing. And there's even more games coming out. There's one called Dishonored, which uses the John Carter of Mars type of, uh, of you know, lighter 2D20 system. And like I said, the way they created this book uh, and the rules that they made for Conan works really well. So there you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. <laughs> you have a good day.